Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've, uh, last week we took a little bit of a break. We had a teen challenge here. We did baptism weekend. And I just want to thank this church because last weekend we did, uh, we, teen challenge was here and on Saturday night they had mentioned that they really wanted to, to their goal for the month was to get four, four sponsorships for the ladies that are in that home. And uh, so Saturday night we got up and I mentioned it, that we wanted to do more than that. And then Sunday, I really pushed you this crowd. And can I tell you that we got 10 sponsors for ladies at Teen Challenge. Plus then in Wyoming, somebody said, well, I want to sponsor one as well. So we ended up with 11 sponsors for the girls in Teen Challenge. And just so you know, because I know a lot of you don't, don't always know exactly what we do, but every Every month, we do as a church sponsor Teen Challenge. So we don't just bring them in once a year and, and give them an opportunity to, to raise money. We give money every month because we believe in what they're doing so much. And it's such a powerful, powerful thing that they, that they do. And I love being on the front lines of getting to see people who are broken, people who are in addiction, people who are struggling, being, seeing them get set free from that and seeing God move inside of their lives. And so we will always be a church. Between that, the Grace House, so many different opportunities that we have to be able to pour in to people who are in need and people who are met in a mess. But God, how many of you know that God can take a mess and he can make it marvelous? He can do something incredible if we put ourselves in his hands. And so anyhow, I just want to thank you because that was a big deal. And uh, those of you who signed up to sponsor those ladies, make sure that you follow through with that. And then also, if you didn't sign up and you'd like to, we can, we can connect you with Teen Challenge, but also just be praying because they are on the front lines. There is so much that happens, and, uh, and we just want to see transformation take place. Amen? Amen? Well, we're in a series called Extreme Home Makeover, and we're in part four of this. We've spent some time looking at different things. We started this series by uh, looking at the idea of fighting for your family. As we looked at Nehemiah, it said that when you fight for your family, God will fight for you. And so the challenge was, as we walked through these weeks, that we would really dive in and really spend time focused on what is it that we can do. Now, when we started the series, I told you that many times what happens is we come and we hear a message on, on uh, what men should be or what women should be, and we go, yeah, if only she would change, then our marriage would be good. If only he would be better, then our life would be better. But when we started this series, I told you that inside of this, what God is going to do is he's going to do a makeover in you. Because if you allow God to do a makeover inside of you, then things will change in your relationships. And that's same with your parent-to-child relationships. It's easy to go, if only my child would. But in this season and in this time that we walk through this series, my, my call to you is to just say, God, what is it that I can do to be more like you? What is it that I can do to be a more godly parent, a more godly spouse, and, and, or a more godly child? And the parents in the room said, amen. Um, so then the next weekend after that, we looked at guard this man, and we talked about how we need to guard ourselves, that the enemy is going to come at us with all different things. It's interesting, last night after the gathering, I had the opportunity to sit down with a young lady who had been a part of Teen Challenge, and Teen Challenge has a very high success rate of people that, that stay uh, stay clean after they leave. This young lady had come to church last night and she had uh, fallen back into her addiction. And so she was in, uh, she had actually just gotten out of jail and the first place she came when she got out of jail was to church here at River. And, um, and so she came and we talked and, and she just said, you know, I, I left Teen Challenge thinking that I was gonna, everything was gonna go well and that I was gonna be okay. And she said, then I began to get busy and I remember that sermon that I had preached about guard this man, about the fact that oftentimes the biggest, the biggest downfall isn't that we're, we're going to just dive into something really stupid. It's that we get busy. And when we get busy, we lose sight of what's actually important. And so it just is a reminder to us as we look at this that we are to guard ourselves and to pay attention to the details. So today I want to take a few moments and we're going to look at God's word again. In Psalm chapter 127, verse 1, it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house... The work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, 
Guarding it with sentries will do no good. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word, and we pray, God, as we look at it right now, that, Lord Jesus, you will do exactly what you need to do. I thank you, Father, that your word never returns void, and even though we're going to talk about relationships and specifically marriage today, God, I just pray, and I know that anyone who's in the sound of my voice right now, who even if they're not in a relationship right now, God, your word does not return void. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll speak to us, that we will, we will get what we need out of your word today. God, I pray for those who are watching in Malawi, and we praise you for this opportunity to just be a light in a, in a place that needs you desperately. God, we thank you for our, our campus that is, that is in Wyoming right now. And, Father, I know that they're, they're joining us live in this moment. And so, Father, we just pray over them right now and that, God, you would speak to them, that, God, even through technology, that, God, your spirit would just do what it needs to do and that you would, you would be in that place. And for those who are in Alaska, God, we just praise you for that. And everyone else who's watching online, I just pray, God, that the distractions will be set aside everywhere that this is being seen, in this room and everywhere else, and that, God, we will truly hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So I want to talk to you for a few moments because it says, unless the Lord builds the house. So as we talk about extreme home makeover, we need to understand that it is God who is doing the makeover. It's not a self-help book. It's not, it's not something else. It's us putting ourselves into a position where we say, God, I need to hear from you. I need you to be the one to speak to me and to show me and to, and, and to be in the center of all that I do when it comes to my relationships with my family. So I want to walk through a few things that I think are important. The first one is this. Success in a relationship doesn't depend on if you fight, but how you fight. Those of you who are married in the house you know that fighting is inevitable. It's true. Uh, you, so I said it last night and, and people got kind of quiet, like they didn't want to admit or they didn't want their spouse to admit. You, you both know you fight, like, okay, you're not hiding anything. So it's okay to, to say it, but it's, it's how we fight. What do we, what do we want to accomplish when we fight? And so I want to talk about that a little bit today because I think that this is an area that doesn't get spoken on and because of that, we often don't know how to deal with this. Someone needs to teach how to love through a fight, how to, how to see the, the best outcome when you find yourself in conflict with your spouse. Um, I, I do a lot of premarital counseling, and when I do that, um, there's a lot of times that couples will come in, and one of the first questions that I will ask them is, tell me about how you fight. Um, the reason that I ask that is because I can learn a lot about a couple because everybody fights a little bit differently. What always worries me is that someone, some people will say, oh, we never fight. And that says to me, you don't really know each other then. I don't know that you should be getting married at this point. Because if you never fight, then something's wrong. Because there is always going to be conflict. Unless you don't ever spend any time together. And then I don't really think you should probably get married. Um, so today we're going to spend a little bit of time and we're going to look at, at uh, some scripture out of the book of Song of Solomon. And if you've not spent any time in the book of Song of Solomon, um, you're in for a treat because it's an interesting book. Uh, when I was in junior high, my dad pastored a large church and we had the pews and we had the, the Bibles with the hymnals in the little rack in front of you. Now, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You remember that church being in that place. And, uh, and as, as youth group, we would sit in the second and third row of one particular section and we would sit there and sometimes someone would get a little bit distracted during the sermon and they would pull out a Bible and they would turn to Song of Solomon and they they would begin to point to the other junior high boys some of the different verses that you can find in Song of Solomon. Now, if you've not read it, you don't understand why that's funny, but you will in a minute maybe um, because it's a very interesting book. And so I was thinking about that and it's Valentine's Day and so happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Um, and, uh, and some of you, maybe men in the house, you forgot to buy your wife a card. Uh, and sorry that you did that. Um, but if you did, you can, you can still, you, you got a moment right now. So just at some point during the day, open Song of Solomon, you can, you can turn to, you know, this is just a suggestion, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and you can start to write this down. It should have been taken So let me read this to you just so you kind of know what we're talking about. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. 
Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built of rows of stone. On it hang thou a thousand shields, all the shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Preach. <laughs> Jason's taking notes right now. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, that's not our key verse today. I just thought I'd throw that in just as a little Valentine's Day extra. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, says this. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I've taken off my robe, and I, must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? So let me tell you what's going on in this story. The, men, the man and the wife sleep in separate bedchambers. The man has come a-knocking. Um, he has come, and he has a request of his wife. So he is knocking on the door. How you doing? He has some wants, he has some needs, he has some expectations. His wife answers with, uh, with an interesting uh, answer. She says that uh, she has already taken her robe off unless she put it on again. She has already washed her feet. I guess that's in that time that was, I have a headache. Like, I don't know. But I want to talk about this for a minute because I think there's something that we can learn out of this verse. The second thing I want you to understand as we walk through these points that I'm, I'm going to make to you this morning is that conflict is a result of unmet expectation and unfulfilled needs. So one spouse is locking the other spouse out of meeting their need. And I will say this, I think that oftentimes that we are not great at communicating with our spouses, both sides, men and women, and because of that, we don't necessarily always express what our needs are. And when we don't express what our needs are, we still feel the void of them not being met, but yet we put our, our marriage, our relationships into a bad position because we have these needs that internally we know need to be met, but yet they're not being met, and so we start to feel frustrated with each other. So one of the things that we are going to talk about today is the fact that as married couples especially, we need to come to a place where we begin to not only acknowledge what our needs are, but to express them and to have conversations about them. And um, so as we look at this, what you need to understand is you are the only source of legitimate fulfillment your spouse will ever have. Now, we're talking about that. Obviously, that, that refers to sex, but it also refer, refers to other things as well. There are needs that we have that when we don't express them, it's tough for our spouse to understand them. It's tough for our spouse to meet them. And, um, and so these are things that cause problems. Lack of communication about needs, not, uh, about the needs that are not being met. Uh, it can be emotional needs. It can be physical needs. Um, I have both men and women at different times who will come to me and they'll say, I don't feel as close to my spouse because they're not as interested in spiritual things as maybe I am. And, and that's another one that is a need. When we, are, when we are people who are chasing after Jesus, when we are people who are saying we're called by his name, then obviously spiritual things are important to us. And oftentimes this can be a real, a real drawback in a relationship if one person is pursuing God and the other is not. I'm going to stop here for a second because I know there are some of you that sit in the room today and you are single. You're not married. You're not maybe even in a relationship right now. But I want to tell you this is why this is so important. When you go to find somebody, it's, it's okay to find someone, oh, he treats me well, or oh, she's, she's very sweet, or she's good with my kid, or whatever it is. That's fine. But are you on the same page spiritually? Because the day will come where that will become an unmet need for you, and you can't make them become a spiritual person. 
You can't make them be somebody who chases after Jesus. So, so that needs to be the top of the list. It needs to be the thing that's the most important. Because if you can get that, if you can find somebody who's in the same place as you, who is pursuing their relationship with Christ, then all of a sudden all these other things will come into alignment. Why? Because if they're aligned with God and you're aligned with God, you're going to be aligned together. Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 4. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved. And my hand dripped with myrrh. My fingers with flowing myrrh and the on the handles of the bolt. So myrrh in this story is a metaphor for love. And what's happened now is the man has come. He's knocked. He said, how are you doing? Whatever he said. And... Uh, she says, not now. I already washed my feet. Um, <laughs> it's a new one for you, wives. Um, so, uh, so the man doesn't argue. He doesn't scream. He doesn't yell. He doesn't, you know, say, you know, tell her that she's wrong or anything. Instead... He puts his hand through, through the hole in the door and he puts myrrh on the handle of the door, which represents love. Number three, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This man now has the opportunity. He could make the argument, hey, we're married and this is part of what marriage is. So you should, we should be able to do this. But instead, he knocks, she says no, he puts his hand through the handle and he puts myrrh on the door. Now, something changes inside of her, maybe because he doesn't argue or try to make his point, but she says, all of a sudden, my heart begins to pound for him. So she gets up and she goes to the door. When she reaches the door, she, her hand now is covered in love. See, in marriage relationships, I think that it's important for us to understand that oftentimes we spend so much time trying to win instead of just trying to love. I don't know about your relationship, but I, I do talk to enough couples that I know that typically in most relationships, there is the person who is the fixer. They like to diffuse. They like to try and fix things. And then there's somebody in the relationship who oftentimes will be more happy with if the conflict going on a little bit longer or they don't want to talk about it. They want to go and be alone. They don't want to whatever. And when Shannon and I first got married, our first year of marriage, we spent quite a bit of time in conflict. We were trying to figure out how to be together and how to live with each other and how to, how to um, coexist and all of those things. And, and inside of that, we would get into arguments. And my wife is one that when I will, ask, I will see in her, something doesn't seem right. And so I will ask her oftentimes, are you okay? And my wife's response, even to this day, will be, I'm fine. How many of you know what that means? <laughs> if you don't, then you're probably not married, okay? Because I'm fine means you ain't fine. But she is, she will continue, she'll say that, she'll say that, she'll say that. And then I get to where I'm like, okay, I got to fix this. So I will press in, I will push, I will, I will try to... I will try to do everything that I can to try and, and figure out, get it out on the table. And what would happen in our first year of marriage, a lot of times is we would, I would sit there like we, in the evening, I, I was told, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but don't, don't go, don't let the sun set on your anger. So we'd be laying in bed and I'd be like, no, come on, we need to talk about it. No, come on, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. We need to, I'm sure it was really annoying. Um, <laughs> and she would go, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I would stop and then eventually she would go, Actually, what was bothering me is, and then she would tell me, right? You didn't say this, or you did say this, or we did, whatever, whatever it was. And, and so out of that, I, I, I'm still learning. We've almost been married for 25 years, and I'm still learning, right? So don't think that there's like a, a, a place where you know. <laughs> I think someday, when I'm with Jesus, I'll understand. But 
in the middle of that, you also have to understand that as we look at our relationships, we've got we've to come up with, with the conclusion is what is it that we want? Um, it was a few years back that, um, that we had made the decision that we were going to, we were going to get a, uh, a membership at the peak because we were going to play racquetball. I used to play racquetball all the time. I love racquetball. And so uh, we, got a, we got a membership at the peak courthouse and, and there was some of the staff here at the church that we would play together and, and my sons and I would play together and we, we just had a great time. Well, I wanted my wife to come and play racquetball with me. I thought, well, this would be a good evening activity that we could do together. And so I remember bringing her and she had played a little bit before, but not much. And so I brought her to the racquetball court and we got, we got all ready to go. And, and I was actually pretty dang good at racquetball. I haven't played in a few years now. My kids started beating me and so I quit. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but so I, I got into the court and I remember I got to the, I, I explained the rules to her and she's standing over here and I'm at the serving line. I said, okay, I'm going to serve to you. And I had to stop for a minute because I had to make a decision. What's the plan here? Because I can ace her. I know I can ace her. She doesn't play very much. I should be able to ace her. So, I mean, I could, I could have like, just like, okay, and just like beat her. And then I could have got done and went, ha, 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 I'm good, right? But what would have happened in that instance is we would never have played racquetball again. She'd have been done. She's out. It's over. That was not fun at all. So I get to the line every time and I'd go, okay, okay. I want her to keep playing. So I'd serve it so that she could hit it. And what happened is instead of celebrating the win, like when I played with my kids, <laughs> I got no problem with that. But when I'm playing with her, I'm like, okay. So what? instead of celebrating the win, I began to celebrate the volley, the rally. I began to celebrate the, hey, we hit it like 20 times that time. That was awesome. Why? Because the point was, it wasn't about me winning. It was about us being together. See, oftentimes when we get into conflict inside of a relationship, whether it's your marriage relationship, whether it's a, a parent-kid relationship, we get to this place where we just want to win. So we do whatever we can to win. But the reality is, is oftentimes we do it at the expense of the long game. If the long game is, I want Shannon to keep playing with me, then I have to understand the day will come when she's going to get good enough that I'll be able to play regular racquetball with her. But right now, she's not there. So I want her to stay in the room. So for her to stay in the room, then I got to go, it's not about me winning right now. It's about us rallying. It's about us volleying together. We got to remember what the end game is. Can I just tell you that saying sorry doesn't make you the loser? Now, I don't know about your relationship, but I, again, I, I talk to enough couples that typically, not always, but typically, there will be one person in a relationship that is quick with the sorry. They're like, I just want this to end. I blew it. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Then there's usually one person in the relationship that thinks they've got 10 sorries that they get to use through their whole lifetime. So they want to make sure and save those, right? You, know, you got to use those pretty sparingly. You don't want to be just throwing those out, right? And so, so in that, though, what happens is we get to a place where, where we've got to realize it's okay to go, hey, you know what? I'm sorry that I made you feel like that. I'm sorry that what I did misrepresented the way I was actually feeling with you. And, and try to understand the end game is, I want to be with this person. I don't want to be in conflict with this person. I don't want this to continue on and, and grow bigger and become, become worse. It, when we walked down the aisle together, we came to a place and we stood. And, and in that moment, this the reason that it's, a, it's an actual service, that it's a, a church thing, is because it's a, biblical, it's a biblical principle that's taking place. We are, we are no longer two people, but we become one when we stand there. So with that, it doesn't make a lot of sense that if every time we get into conflict, we feel like the best thing we can do is to just beat the other person. Because you're beating yourself if you do that. You've become one. It'd be like if, 
if Missoula, if, if, if Missoula and Lolo were having a conflict with each other, I don't even know what that would look like, and, and we decided that we were going to just nuke Lolo. I know, stupid, whatever. You get my point. It would hurt us, right? It doesn't just hurt Lolo, it would hurt us just the same. The same is true in your marriage because many of you, when you get into a fight, you get into a conflict, you know the nuclear button to push. Man, you know it. You know, like it starts as this little fight about something stupid. You didn't call on your way home and I needed you to stop at the store or whatever it is, some little thing, and it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, we're in the middle of this fight. And while we're in the middle of this fight, then all of a sudden, you get to this place where you're like, oh, I'm going to push that button. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that thing up from the past. Because whenever I do that, it's like the trump card. And I know if I play that card, he's got no way to respond to that. And I'll win. But what else happens is we, we destroy a little piece of this. We go, we go, we show our spouse what's actually more important to me than you is me winning. And when we do that, it hurts the relationship. The next thing I want you to see, number four, is leave room for God to change the heart. Because only God can open certain doors. Verse six, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him and did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him that I am faint with love. So the man doesn't force his way in, he leaves love on the door, and then he allows for his wife's heart to change. And what happens is his wife's heart does change. The woman in the story unlocks uh, who has locked her husband out, now goes and she begins to search for him. She now wants him. Why? Not because he argued his way into the bedchamber, but because he left love and left room for God. He left room for God to do the heavy lifting. So often we're so busy trying to convince our spouse that they need to change, that they need to do something different, that if they would do this, then I would be happy. If you would change this, then I would be okay. If you would do this, but the reality is, is most of the time that we're doing that, there's something inside of us that actually needs to change. And when we allow God to come in and do what he, only he can do, so this man could have been angry, he could have been frustrated, but instead he knocks, she says no, he puts love on the door, and then he leaves and says, I'm going to just leave room so that God can come in and do what only God can do. And out of this, this woman makes this decision that now all of a sudden she wants him again. Some of you sit in this room today and you are in a place where you feel as though I'm always the one who tries. He or she never tries. It's always on me to be the one to do all the hard work. And in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. It's hard when you feel like you're doing it alone. And I know that some of you even sit in this room today and your spouse isn't with you. Your spouse won't come to church. So you, you've asked and you've, you've pleaded and you've told them and you've told them how important it is to you and what it would mean to you and they still refuse to come. Maybe they got all kinds of good excuses and now you're to this point where you feel like, I can't do it anymore. I've, I've done the best that I can and I'm telling you, don't give up. I... I'm believing, and I told you at the beginning of this series, and next week we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about our kids, but in that it's not going to be just a conversation about our kids. It's going to be a, a, a rally cry. Because I, I, as we stepped into this series, I really felt like God was saying, there needs to not just be a teaching on fighting for the family, but there needs to be a war cry that comes from this church. Because there are, there are children who are not serving the Lord right now. There are spouses that are not serving the Lord right now. And so next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like. But I want you to know that that week following next week, I'm going to be calling for, for this church to spend time fighting for their families. Yeah. 
And it's interesting, I told them last night that I didn't know I'd been gone for a couple weeks going through um, some really fun stuff. And, and when, I, when I came back, we did staff meeting and, and Seth said, hey, on this particular Thursday night, we're going to do just a night of, of worship where we're going to dive in and go deep. And, and that happens to be, not happens to be, it's a God thing, that it, it, that's exactly in the middle of that week that I'm going to be asking you to be fighting for your families. And so I'm just believing that God is going to do some miracles. And for some of you, that's for your kids. Some of that's for your spouses. Some of you, it's maybe for your parents that you just know that they're not chasing after God and we're going to fight for our families. Amen. 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 What if we just took responsibility for our response and leave the rest to God? See, a lot of times what we do is we... Even when we pray, you're in the middle of conflict with your spouse. And if you're honest, probably a lot of times that you're praying, you're praying that God will change your spouse. God, will you fix him? God, will you fix her? Will you make things right with them? But what if instead of that, we just took responsibility for our response and we let God step in? So this man comes knocking to the door. He wants something. She says no. Her feet have already been cleaned. And then she, he reaches in. He says, I love you. And he leaves it. I'm going to leave it. And I'm going to let God do what God does. I'm not going to be the one that's going to fight and have some good response that's going to change this situation because oftentimes the things that need to be changed inside of our relationships are beyond our control. If your spouse is struggling, it's beyond your control to fix it. So you need to come to a place where you go, I'm going to be the best husband I can be. I'm going to be the best wife that I can be. And when I do that, then I'm going to leave room that God will step in and do what needs to be done inside of their life. When the door gets locked, whether by the circumstance of life or by, doing, uh, by the doing of your partner, whether that's sexually, spiritually, emotionally, we need to be reminded of the fact that it's our job to just leave love in that situation. Why? Because when you locked Christ out, he showed you his love. And his love is the thing that drew you back. Many of you, if you were to share your story, it's probably a story of, I was invited to church. I, was, uh, I had a friend who knew Jesus and tried to share multiple times, and I was disinterested. I wasn't, I wasn't hearing it. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to hear about it. I, don't, I didn't want religion. I didn't want whatever it was. And then God kept knocking and kept knocking and kept knocking and, and saying, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. And then the day came that, that, that you went and you ran to the door and you found that he truly does love you, that he truly does see you, that no matter how messy you are, that he sees you, that he has a plan for you, that he has dreams and desires for you. And some of you maybe even sit in this room today and you go, there's no way that God could love me because of all the stuff that I've done. And I'm telling you right now that the God of the universe loved you so so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross because he cares that much for you and he wants relationship with you today. And maybe you sit here and you don't have a relationship with God and I want to tell you something that you maybe have, have, have gone to church and you've heard about religion and you, and you know you're supposed to mind your P's and Q's and you're to get your act together and act really good and then, and then maybe the church will accept you and I'm telling you right now that is not scriptural. Because the Bible doesn't talk about you becoming religious. The Bible talks about you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he sees you and he loves you. And he doesn't say, if you change and make yourself better, I'll accept you. He says, I accept you right where you are and I love you right the way that you are. And I want relationship with you today. When your sins barred the door shut, making reconciliation a, fairly, a fairy tale... God searched for you and he found you. Let's keep reading in this, particular verse, in this particular verse. Chapter 10. My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is finest gold. His wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. Uh, his cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. 
His arms are like rounded bars of gold set in burl. His body is like bright ivory. So women, if you're looking for something to put into the card this year, I hooked you up as well. So many commentators believe that these are metaphors that are being spoken of, and most of it is basically a description of the way that she feels that he sees her, that, that, that he looks at her. So this woman has locked the door, and in the wisdom of the author, he doesn't break down the door, he doesn't yell at her, he doesn't scream at her, he doesn't post things on Facebook about her. Side note, if that's something you do about your spouse, knock it off. That's immature. And it will not get you the result that you're looking for. It will bring separation. So what's happened here is he leads with love and even in his disappointment, he still shows love. And what happens is he draws her out. A great philosopher once said, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. <laughs> Chicago can be a philosopher, I think. That's all right. <laughs> the woman is now bragging about him. Look at how the story's changed. I mean, think about that for a minute. He comes knocking. She goes, nope, got a headache. <laughs> he leaves love. She goes searching and then bragging. What a transformation, right? Too often today in a no-fault divorce society, marriage doesn't look exactly the way we want it to, and so we start moving on to something else. And I want to say this to you today because I think this is important. If you leave an escape hatch, you are likely to use it. Whenever I do marriage counseling, I will sit with couples and I will say, whatever you do, no matter how you fight, figure out, first of all, how can we fight to get the best result? What is the best result? Is it that we want to continue to fight or is it that we want to come to a resolution? Is it that we want to actually listen to each other or do we want to just listen to ourselves make a great point? Because if we can get to the place where we begin to listen to each other, then all of a sudden we'll see those conflicts come to a, a, a head a lot easier and we'll, we'll get through them a lot faster. But what happens a lot of times is, again, people want to use that nuclear button. And so for some people, the nuclear button is, well, maybe we should just get a divorce if you're that miserable. Do not ever use the D word in your marriage. Because once you start to use it, it becomes a tool in your belt and it becomes actually plausible that you might do it. And even as I say that, there are some here that guilt overcomes you. You've already gone through divorce, and so this topic is hard for you. But this message isn't about what you have done, it's about what you will do. You can't change the past, but you can put it under the blood of Christ. Let me just say this to you because you cannot fix a house that you no longer live in. So this is not meant to make you feel guilty at all. I'm telling you though, moving forward in new relationships, in, in places that you're going to be, make sure that again, that goes back to that idea of making sure that you know the person and you understand who they are spiritually so that you are on the same page. So it says his lips were like myrrh. Myrrh again represents love, and so he speaks love about her. So important that we understand that when we're in a marriage relationship, we need to speak love about our spouse. If you're, if you're somebody that goes out with your friends and you sit around and you all compare war stories about how horrible your spouse is, you need to stop doing that. It's not helpful. It's not good for you and it's not good for them. You need to speak life over them. You need to accentuate the positive. Number five, make it right before the sun goes down. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, reconcile. Now for some of you in the room, I, uh, there are some that are the fixers like myself. There are some that are the processors. So you like time and that's okay. But you still need to come to a conclusion that, hey, my wife likes time. If we get into an argument, I'm like immediately, hey, let's fix it, let's fix it, let's fix it, let's fix it, let's fix it. And then she disengages. She's disinterested. And so she's now gotten to the point where she's better at using her words. And she says to me, 
I need time to process it. Now to me, I don't know what that means, but I'm learning. I'm still trying to figure it out. So now I know I let her go for a little while because I know we're going to circle back to it. That gives me the ability to go, okay, at least we can circle back to it. That's fine. Then we can fix it still. But we do need to come to a place where there is reconciliation. Now, so for some of you, if you're the processor in the room and you like to just go, no, I don't want to talk about it anymore, I'm telling you the Bible says not an option. All the fixers in the room said amen. Because <laughs> it's biblical. You're not supposed to let, it go, let the sun go down on your anger. You're to fix it. So you've got to come to a place where you do that. Don't let today's gratification become more important than the perfect will of God. What I mean by that is we get gratified when we win an argument. We get gratified when we get our way. But at the end of the day, when we became one with our partner, we need to understand that now it's not just about my will. It's not just about what I want. But if we as a couple will say, what's God's will for us? then all of a sudden now we're moving in the same direction. It doesn't mean that you won't fight, because you will. But it does mean that when you fight, you can both circle back around to go, how do we get to the other side of this so that we can, we can be better when we walk through this? The gospel is our standard and Jesus is our example. Some of you are tired and you, are say, you say, I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. And I just deserve to be happy. Well, I want you to be reminded of who Jesus is because he is our ultimate example. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only at your own interests, but take the interests of others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took that humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. So if Jesus is our ultimate example, what we learn from this verse is that in those moments where it would be easy to try and elevate ourselves, to try and put ourselves above even our spouse, to try and put ourselves into a position where we argue ourselves, we win because, because we've, we've got the best argument, Jesus could have made an argument as to why he didn't need to come. He could have made an argument as to why he shouldn't have to be in such a lowly space. But instead, he didn't cling to his position. He clung to the idea of understanding that he loved us so much that he would give himself up. And so for many of us, as we look at our relationships, whether it is a spouse relationship or a parent-child relationship, what we need to understand is we will always win through humility. If we'll come and we'll humble ourselves and we'll even trust him and say, God, I don't think that, I think I should win this argument. I think that I'm right and I think he's wrong or I think she's wrong. If, if, we, if we cling to that, then we're going to always be in a constant battle to try and win. But if instead we'll come to a place where we'll just go, I'm going to let some stuff go. And I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to leave room so that, God, you can be my healer. Maybe my spouse doesn't always understand me. Maybe, maybe she doesn't get me. Maybe he doesn't know me well enough. All of those things may be true, but at the end of the day, I'm going to place my marriage in your hands, and I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to know that if I will humble myself, that, God, you'll be the one that will elevate this thing. I want to give you just a couple of things real quick, and it's a different message today. But I really feel like it's important when we talk about relationships that we, we can walk out of here maybe with a little bit of, a, of some tools. And it is Valentine's Day, and so I think this is a perfect week to do this. I talked earlier about conf, conf, uh, conflict comes when there's unmet needs, 
And I think there's a lot of times in our relationships where we don't express what our needs are with each other. I think a lot of times we just assume our spouse knows our needs. So we, we sit back and we, we take score. Well, he blew it again. Nope, she didn't do what I thought she would do. And we, and we think like that's winning. But actually winning in our relationship is not that. It's when we actually grow together. When we actually move towards each other. And so, so one of the things that I want to mention to you is this, and it's something that Shannon and I just recently walked through and learned and tried to figure out with each other, and that was to figure out how to express to each other what our needs are. So we took some time and we each wrote our three biggest needs that we need from our spouse. So I wrote down my three needs, which were like a sentence each. And then she wrote her needs, which were like paragraphs each. <laughs> and then we talked about them. We like walked through them. Like, this is what this means. And some of the ones that she wrote, I never would have known. She would have, those would have been needs to her. And some of what I wrote, she never would have known were needs for me. And it was good for me to have to like think about it. What are my needs? What are the things that, that I, I could use in our relationship? So I'm saying it to you right now and some of you are like, oh great, it's Valentine's Day and there's homework. That's awesome. <laughs> it's good. It's good. But I want to challenge you this week to take some time as a couple and I want you to write down what are my needs. Think it through. You get three that, you, that you're going to put down on paper. And she gets three or he gets three and now you share them with each other. And don't get, don't get upset with each other. But listen. Listen. Because all of a sudden growth will happen. Because all of a sudden you'll move closer to each other. I believe with all my heart that the marriage is under attack. That marriage in, in the world and in this country is under attack. And especially in the church. So let's, let's put some tools in our belt so that we can be stronger together. Amen? We're going to close with a little bit of worship, but before we do that, I want to just take a moment and I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes with me for a moment. I just feel like I didn't do this last night, but I feel like today I need to. I wonder if there's anybody who is in the room today and you would be honest and say, you know, Jason, I don't really even have a relationship with God today. And you talked about religion. You talked about how that's not what this is about, that this is about relationship. I want you to understand that God loves you so much that he sees you right where you are and he has plans and dreams and desires for you and maybe you sit here today and you feel like man I'm just I'm just I'm doing the same thing over and over again I just feel like like everything I do I can't win I can't get to the other side and I'm telling you if you put yourself in his hands you'll begin to experience purpose in your life and he so badly wants to come alongside you. He so badly wants to show you how much he loves you. So if you're here this morning and no one else is looking around, I just want to take the opportunity to pray with you before you leave this room today. And you just say, you know, Jason, I want to make my relationship right with God today before I leave. Would you do me a favor and just lift up your hand and catch my eye? Because I do want to pray with you before you leave today. Is there anybody like that at all that I can just pray with before we leave this service today? Okay, thank you. Is there anyone else this morning that just would say, you know, Jason, will you remember me in this prayer? I just want to make sure that my relationship is right with God this morning. Yeah, I see you back there, man. Thanks for your honesty. Okay, thank you. I'll take one more moment. Is there anybody else? morning we're just going to close in a word of prayer but before we do that I'm going to I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask everybody in the room to repeat it with me whether you raised your hand or you didn't but those of you who raised your hand and you know I need to make my relationship right with God if you'll pray these words and you'll mean what you're praying it's a beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ it's a start it's amazing because God loves you so much that when you pray this prayer and you mean it he takes your sin he takes your mess he takes your stuff and he removes it from you. 
He goes, I already paid for it. So now you're just, you're, you're accepting that I paid for it. So I'm going to remove it from you now. That's an incredible love. So let's pray this prayer together. Will you all just repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, that you left love on the door for me. God, I praise you because you paid the price for my sin. I accept your forgiveness today. And Lord, I want to follow you from this day forward. Help me to be who you've asked me to be. Help me to do what you ask me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Whether you raised your hand or you didn't, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you just started a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today as we close in worship, and we've just got a few moments left together, but, but I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're married today, will you take some time and just be praying over your marriage? If you're not married and you're, and you're dating or you're looking, and would you just pray that God will bring the man or woman of God into your life and that you will know them when you see them? Maybe you're here and you just need to be praying over your kids. You need to start that warfare right now because we're going to believe that God's going to do something incredible inside of your kids' lives. So let's, let me pray over you. God, we thank you so much for all that you do. And I just pray, Lord, in these last few moments that, God, you will do surgery inside of our lives, that, God, you will help us in our marriages, in our relationships, that, God, we believe in you, we trust in you, and we give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we worship? Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks. Thanks.